Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions and join industry leaders as they share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Chicago Title, Arizona. Hi and welcome back to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for sharing our little corner of the internet with your friends. It's been fun to watch uh, more and more people find it, download some of these podcasts that uh, we have with these local experts in the industry, as well as some national experts as well in the, in the world of real estate. So thank you so much for finding us. And I'm really excited for today's episode. Today, we are going to be talking to Carrie Melcher. Carrie, a couple things about Carrie, if you don't know her. She's a third generation Arizona realtor. And Carrie has served over the years at many associations, including the Phoenix Association of Realtors, the Arizona Association of Realtors, Armless on some boards. I mean, she's really been involved. Um, she also had her own boutique brokerage for 20 years before taking a position maybe a year and a half ago or so with the uh, Arizona Regional Multiple Listing Service or Armless. A couple of things that I think are important about Carrie. She's known for these three things, I think, first and foremost. One, her humans. Two, her front porch. And three, her legendary hugs. So Carrie, welcome to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me here. So I, did, yeah, I do a little dig on all the guests, and I know that you have been in the business for a long time. And that's not talking about your age. It's talking about how young you started. And is it true that in high school you were helping your grandfather in his business? No question. Yep. I, I literally grew up crawling around in a real estate floor, a bullpen. My grandpa had a brokerage, a large brokerage that I guess in its prime was maybe nine offices, 350 agents. But I spent time, you know, being the receptionist, being the gopher uh, at all sorts of different offices for him. I loved it. I hated going back to school after fall breaks and spring breaks and Christmas breaks. So this is why you're in high school here in town, right? Yes, I was in high school here. I did it a little bit in grade school too, uh, you know, using the mimeograph machine that made that strong smell that probably did something to harm me, but I love the smell of that mini fax machine. Yeah, yeah, fax machines, the pre-fax machines and all of that. And back in the day when we were on like four different MLS systems, we really had four different computers we were entering things in or three. Yeah, I loved being around those realtors. Now, you went off to school. Um, I think, did you have a little, you, you went north and south, am I right? Did you do some U of A and northern yep. Arizona? Okay, somehow yep. avoided avoided the, the good school ASU. Sorry, I had to put that in there. <laughs> I took a class or two at ASU. So in college, I mean, were you were you already kind of moving down that path? Did you kind of, was real estate in your blood? Did you know that's where you were going to end up? No. I said that, as a matter of fact, I said I never wanted to learn what all the acronyms meant. So I didn't know what FHA meant, VA. I didn't know what any of the acronyms meant. And I said I wasn't going to learn it because I wasn't going into real estate because I was a poli-sci and statistics major. So I was going to be... A, this really sounds so cynical, but I was going to take data and use it for different people parties. Oh, really? That was my that was my goal back then. Yes, my <laughs> my goal was to use data and to use it to get people elected. Wow, yeah. that's great. So, so let's walk through the process then. So you're moving down this path, poli sci. You're working the stats. Everything's mm -hmm. good. What happened? I'm waiting for a job. I've interviewed with a local politician, and I'm waiting for a job to come in. And it takes a long time because it's politics. And so you got to go through these different things. And I'm going to be a liaison 
between this politician and her community. And I'm waiting, and during this time, the Iran-Contra hearings were on television. So while I'm waiting around at my mom and dad's house, I'm watching the Iran-Contra hearings. And every day, my dad would come home from work, and I'd give him updates on it. And after a couple weeks, he said, hey, why don't you take your butt off my couch and come and work for me instead of telling me about the Iran-Contra hearings every day? <laughs> why is this your job? And he said, and if this other job comes along, you can take it. But come in, and I have a job at the office. Uh, and been work with me. So I did, and when I started, I actually managed, we had a new homes division, and so I managed trades. So the carpets and the countertops and the appliances, I sort of managed the trades, trying to make sure they made it into the property in time and worked on the timeline for that. Mm-hmm. And again, I still wasn't in real estate. I didn't have a license. and But my desk was really close to the corporate relocation department, and there were two realtors that worked in there, Karen Carrillo and Marsha Pistaglia, and they were amazing, and they worked like 8 to 5, Monday through Friday as realtors, and their clients were all corporations. And um, Karen, Marsha was was moving, and Karen said, you know, any chance you would think about getting your license and learning to do this business with me? And I still hadn't heard from the politics job, and it had been six, nine months, and I thought, probably not going to (laughs) happen. And it turns out it was probably a good thing that that did not happen. And I went in and I trained under Karen and um, and I ended up loving it. So I started as an 8 to 5 Monday through Friday realtor on a salary. And uh, we represented banks and corporate relocations and sold, I don't know, 10 to 20 houses a month. So I really got to know the contract really well, but no relationship kind of thing. And relationships with people on the phone, but not, not real home buyers and home sellers. So it was a great way to get to know the contract. So then how does that, how do we move from there to you starting your own agency? In the early 90s, the market crashed and my dad's company was going under. And so I still was in corporate relocation at the time. And um, Karen and I, and so they actually, my dad actually filed bankruptcy. And Karen and I went to another brokerage uh, called Blue Ribbon, which doesn't exist anymore either. A lot of us went over there. And um, she and I took that department over and ran that business, and we're running that business. But I was 22 or something, and we had banks that owed us 60 to $80,000 a month because we would front the money for pools and for uh, new roofs and air conditioners and things like that. And I didn't even own a house at the time. And I remember the stress I would feel day in and day out about, like, what if one of these banks went under and all these, I owed money to trades and, and they these banks owed me money and it was very stressful. Things were done a lot different back then. You turned all the utilities on, you did everything in your name and you did all the billing. And as I got a little older, so maybe I'm now 24, 25, you know, we, have, we had a successful business and it was great because I could do kind of that 8 to 5, Monday through Friday thing. But then more of my friends started to be interested in buying houses, and my grandpa wasn't in the business anymore, and my dad wasn't in the business at that time. And so I was getting calls from people, and I sort of liked the, the allure of working with real people became much more attractive. And so Karen took the corporate relocation business, and I went off on my own and started working with real humans. And that, you know, made all the difference. It was real people again. But for me, it, but it, regardless whether I did it with, my clients or was doing it when I was with corporate relocation. I loved working with realtors all the time. 
I mean, I think that's really what I got as a kid growing up with my dad and my grandpa in the office was all of these realtors and primarily women that were running their small businesses or in some cases were on the tail end of their small business, but they would read the paper and tell the other realtors every day about what business was coming in town, who was doing what. It was this great sort of community of people sharing information to make each other better. So I was always really attracted to working with realtors. So when I got to go off on my own, now you have to form new relationships and go out and work with realtors in a different way. And it was great. It was, it was awesome. Then I became a buyer's agent. And for me, being a buyer's agent meant I got to have the romance of going out and finding houses with a client. You know, that whole romance of finding your own house, your home, where you're going to, you know, plant roses and things like that. So that became really attractive. I love that. I love working with buyers. And then my dad started another brokerage a couple years later. And so a lot of us from Blue Ribbon came over and joined my dad. And my dad is still a broker of the military agency and, um, and awesome and still there and, and putting in his uh, nine to five. So that's, we just started back up when my dad came back into the business. We moved back over to the military agency. He just wanted it to be very small. Boutique is a good word for it. He wanted it to be small and have it be surrounded with people he knew well. Switching gears for a second, you live in the central corridor of Phoenix. You, in fact, you've always lived there, correct? I, I grew up actually in Moon Valley. I met my husband carpool into high school. We, um, we went to high school downtown in Broken Xavier, and now we are walking distance from Broken Xavier. So the first house we bought 24 years ago. So yeah, we still live there. Tell tell the listeners why you love that part of Phoenix so much. I love I love my neighborhood so much. Like every realtor in every little town, I feel like. Realtors are really the boots on the ground chamber of commerce, and I am the boots on the ground chamber of commerce for my neighborhood. I know my neighbors. I I know I know I know my neighbors all over me, uh, my street, and the next street, and the other street. I know where to go to get a good cup of coffee. I know what six places to go to get a good cup of coffee. I know where to eat breakfast. I know where to recommend folks go. I know where to get great haircuts. I I love that I know the purveyors of those places as well. I consider Hana, which is my Japanese restaurant right around the corner from me. I consider the woman who owns it, Lori, one of my good friends. It's surrounded by small businesses, independent businesses all over. And I love it. I love, love, love my neighborhood. I walked places a few years ago, 10 years ago. We our, The bus stop for our neighborhood was right on our corner. And we were doing a remodel. And my husband said, wouldn't it be nice if we put like a bench on our front? front yard area so parents could sit there while they were waiting for the bus with their kids. I thought that was a good idea. We were going to do that. And then he was like, hey, maybe we should just make a big porch. And so 10, 11 years ago, we put a 1,100-square-foot front porch on our house. And it's like it's it's like friend crack, neighborhood crack. You know, like we have neighbors on our porch all the time, all the time. We have... I have a coffee machine, an espresso machine inside my house. I have neighbors literally that would key into my house at 6 a.m. in the morning, make their coffee, and then lock up and go behind, go go off to work. I, I think that it's just one of those great tenants of life that you get surrounded by. We have friends, we have coworkers, but neighbors are that that other part of your family. And unfortunately, in some places, you you know you pull in, you put your garage door down, and you don't even know if your neighbors are home. We like to see each other. And you know, and, and really value what that gives us to our our 24 hour, 24 7, 365 life. So, you know, a big deal to me. 
No, I, I oh, we know, we know. Now, <laughs> building communities or tribes has become really in over the last few years. You must laugh at that, thinking, really? Just now? I think it's so great. I think it's so great. It's funny. My family always had a lot of people in and out. And I don't know that my husband, Stefan's family, always did. So we've had countless people live with us over you know, our 24 years in that house, many of them from real estate transactions in between transactions. Now we have children that occupy most of the rooms in our house, but, but people are in, our, in and out of our house all the time. And what's nice about that is wherever we go, we typically have a bed we can sleep in. So that's helpful. With this new focus on building communities, do you have any tips, you know, for someone listening that maybe doesn't have the, this kind of built-in sense that you do to, to make this happen? I mean, I think it's the tip that, that I, I still have to remind myself all the time, which is to listen really well. So uh, one of my neighbors, one of, and I really consider my neighbors much a, a big extension of our family, uh, truly authentically an extension of our family. One of my neighbors, uh, I didn't know terribly well when she first moved in, and every once in a while she would sort of disappear for periods of time, and her husband would say, well, she's not feeling good or, you know, the kid's sick and she doesn't want to be exposed to it. And it turned out she has MS. She got more and more sort of isolated. She ended up having to leave her job and was home uh, more and more. I remember when I, when she told me and when we kind of got to know each other more and she just needed, wanted just a interaction. She just wanted a little bit of time in with somebody. And, and she is, uh, unquestionably one of the uh, most frequent visitors to the porch. As a matter of fact, she used to own a house on one side of me and then bought the house across the street from me a few years ago. So they're not moving far. It's neighbors, neighborhood, neighbors mean a lot to all of us in our neighborhood. So listening, listening to what people need. And then I get a ton out of it. I get a ton out of it because just to spend 15 minutes with somebody when they haven't had people around for the day is really is really a win for both of us, you know, right. to be, you know, to be needed and to, and to be able to give something is pretty huge. I know I benefit more than Carrie does. Her name's Carrie as well. So I would say listen, listen to what your neighbors need. I mean, we had neighbors that, you know, aren't doing well. Um, somebody passes away and their yard's not okay. So you just, you know, you hear from somebody, you go and you mow their yard and you move along and, um, and what a huge thing that, that, what a huge difference that makes for that person. We've had it done for us. And you don't even know who did it for you. And what a great thing to walk around and just, you don't even know who to thank. You're just grateful for your neighbors that are walking by your house saying hello. Pretty cool. Well, like, like many other Arizona realtors I've interviewed on this podcast, you have really embraced volunteerism and volunteered for years. You're a past president of the Phoenix Association of Realtors. You've been on the board for AAR for a number of years, um, uh, president of the Arizona Realtors Foundation for Housing and Community Outreach in the past. Talk to me about why this is all so important, and, and not just for you, but really for for realtors. So why it's important is because this industry is so uh, important to me in every in every way. You know, sort of housing is important, home is important, porch is important, all that sort of thing. Without realtors, without this 1.1 million realtors around the country of small business people, 1.1 million small business people, I don't know what happens with home ownership. I don't know what happens for the the young kid that wants to have a porch or um, 
or the older person that's saying goodbye to their porch. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, of there's a lot of good, greater good that's done. I know we lobby as realtors on behalf of our own greater good, but we are also lobbying on behalf of like, the greater good of housing and home. And home is such a uh, such a romantic word. It's such a it's it's something that you know goes to the heart of everybody. And I I think about the I, I tell the story from time to time that the American Medical Association and doctors used to belong to that in very high at a very high percentage rate. And there's about 900,000 doctors in the U.S., roughly, so not too far off of, of realtors. And I think of them as small business owners, although more and more of them are working for conglomerates or insurance companies, hospitals, and things like that. But now very few people, under 20% of doctors belong to the AMA. And, and what that has done is meant that they're not at the table when we're doing things like the ACA, Obamacare, when, when hospitals are being run now, they're not run by doctors. And what that does to all of us is we have, you know, the, the mortality rates have gone up. So quite literally, like, doctors no longer lobbying and helping have affected us, the health of real people. And even though we're not curing cancer as realtors, if we're not there to speak on behalf of this kind of stuff, kind of stuff home is affected for real people. So... Um, so I volunteer because home is important and because uh, because I can and I like to and I like to be surrounded by a bunch of realtors. It's just sort of my thing. So I, I felt really lucky. When I got started, it was when the market was really slow. So I had time. <laughs> and I thought, well, at least it'll keep me active in real estate. And I didn't want to go back into corporate or to bank repos. And so I thought, well, I have time. It'll keep me active. It'll keep me busy. And it did. Get me very active, very busy, and now, now I work at an MLS. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about that. I know many local agents were super excited and happy when you took your current position with Armless. Are you enjoying your new career? Yeah. I am. I am. I 27 years being a full-time agent, and then uh, came over here to like be an employed guy. So I love it because you know, I, I have I've, I'm now the director of the MLS here. So. Um, I have like mantras in life, which are to save realtors and brokers time and to make them look good. Uh, there's nothing I could think of that's better for me, like the idea that I really get to make my peers, my friends that I am so crazy about look good and save them time. It's a pretty cool mission in life for me who grew up loving realtors like I do. And for me, for my family, it gives me a little more balance because I have a hard time turning off and I have little kids. I have an eight-year-old and an eleven-year-old, and I, I I like the idea of nights and weekends. And I'm still learning to truly take advantage of them all. But it's a lot better than it was when I was an agent. I couldn't turn off very easily. You're very active online. You're part of that early adopter group that was that saw what was happening with digital back in the uh, we'll call it mid 2000s. Can you talk about a couple of the mistakes you see agents making online? Yeah, I guess. I guess it's not being being authentic. So the, instead, it's sort of a it's kind of that flyer lifestyle lifestyle of just sort of putting out flyers but not actually telling a story. It, it's much like what we always did, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, or in some cases, did uh, put out a flyer with the facts on it but no story. So to me, I mean, digital just gives you much more of an opportunity to storytell, to tell real people about what you really care about and who you really are. 
and as a realtor and, and, and today, even when I talk to realtors that are coming on, I sort of feel like the best thing you can do and what's so cool about digital is you can niche yourself. You can niche yourself and niche yourself so that people can decide whether they want to work with you and you can self-select and they can self-select to the right person. So digital is so great for storytelling because you can reach so many more people. So I guess not giving up of yourself, not letting people know who you really are, to me is a mistake. Because it's better off people knowing who you are and deciding they do or they don't want to work with you. Um, that, that's, that's, I guess, what I'd say. Now your, your business was primarily referral-based, and that comes from the fact that you, you were connected to so many people, so many realtors, and so many customers, and then you throw on top of that your, the way you embraced your community, it was easy for you to be referral-based. And there's two distinct schools in that building business in real estate. One is that referral model, but the other is you know, some sort of prospecting or lead generation or trying to build new business. You know, in your new role at Armless, Armless has some amazing uh, lead generation tools and tactics. And so now you, you have to, you work on kind of both parts of that. Is that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. You know, one of the coolest things for lead gen that we have that I think I knew when I saw Monsoon, but I didn't really get it because I, I did have a referral business. I did have a lead gen side for a buyer agent that I had that I generated stuff for, but, but it wasn't my favorite part. I look at Russell Shaw and I think he is sort of heroic and courageous to go out there and lead Jen so much of his business. But I definitely took a route of, of uh, relationship marketing, which was easier and softer and not as heroic in many ways. But we have Monsoon, which is our tax service. And our public records tax service search is amazing to do prospecting in. You can search certain things where you can, you can look for people whose property at mailing address and property address are different. So tax address where the taxes are billed and where the property actually is. You can kind of tell, you can tell if somebody is an out-of-state owner or if it's a landlord. And then you can tell when they bought it. You can get an idea of equity because you know what years buying it was good for having equity and which years weren't. So you can really tailor your prospecting some pretty great ways. And that's just one way. There's many, many ways that, that you can prospect using Monsoon. And then there's a new app that we have that just came out in May called HomeSnap. And that's actually a great mobile app. It's for customers or for clients of realtors. But the Realtor app is really great so that you can look smart and it can save you time. You can be in front of a property and get all the information really quickly and can communicate with each other really quickly. But it's also a really nice app for consumers. It's pretty. It's a sexy app. And there's not a whole lot of sexy real estate technology. So uh, that one's very nice. Right, and subscriber benefit from Armless. That's great. Yes, it's part of your fees. You get those, both of those things. We decided a while ago that we had to enter into mobile, and, and we were waiting for mobile to come along, but uh, we had to reach out and get some mobile, and HomeSnap's been great. HomeSnap's been really great. And Monster is mobile on all devices. So. Platform agnostic, as D. Patrick would say. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I always end each podcast with the same question. I'm going to give you the same one that I ask everyone. I need one piece of advice you would give a new agent or, or an agent looking to really advance their career. One piece of advice you would give them to help them accomplish that. I would tell a new agent or a seasoned agent to niche yourself, to be less broad and more niche, down to the point of, you know, 
a soccer field if you had to. Niche yourself down to the person you want to have in your car and and build everything from that. Build your marketing from that. Be, reach out to customers that relate to that or friends or friends of friends that relate to that niche. I would say niche yourself down as far as you can. You will be that perfect expert and there's so many people that you will not be slow. You will be very happy and you'll be very busy. Carrie, thank you very much. And by the way, we're recording this podcast on November 3rd. People will be listening to it much later than this. But it's kind of a special day for you. So I just want to say on the podcast, happy birthday. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So, Carrie, thank you very much for being a part of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. And remember, uh, every Tuesday morning, we're going to release another edition of the Real Estate Sessions. So thank you very much for continuing to find us and continuing to listen. And we will see you next time. Thanks for having me, Bill. You've been listening to the Real Estate Sessions with Bill Risser of Chicago Title, Arizona. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and tell your friends about the Real Estate Sessions as new episodes are published weekly.